Hello and welcome to episode number 55 of the Gamers Tavern. This week we're joined by Robert Morris to talk about parody and homage games. You know, those game systems that make fun of the tropes of another property out of love of the material, or were created as a way of paying tribute to those films, movies, books, games, TV shows, and more. I'm not going to mess around with sponsors in the intro, but make sure you go to accursedrpg.com because Ross and the other guys from Meliorvia have a Kickstarter up right now to expand the world of Morden from the award-winning Accursed campaign setting for Savage Worlds. They funded in the first day and they're gaining on the stretch goals to give you two more brand new books on different areas of the world. Go to accursedrpg.com and find out more about the world of Accursed. And I'm in a bit of a hurry to get this episode up because we're about to start our live stream over on Twitch in just <clears throat> just a few minutes, actually, uh, after I post this episode. And it's going to be a new episode of Gamers Tavern Game Table Shadowrun Plot Resistance. If you want to watch live, it's on Friday evenings at 7.30 p.m. Central Time. Go to twitch.tv slash gamers tavern show to watch it live. And if you miss out, you can check out the archives on Twitch for about two weeks, or you can go to our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash meet in a tavern. With that said, grab a drink at the bar and take a seat at the table in the corner as we get started. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Gamers Tavern Podcast. I'm your host, Ross Watson. And I'm Daryl Mott Jr. And tonight we have with us as a guest, Mr. Robert Morris. Good, e- good evening and, well, good day and good morning to everybody else. Are you doing the Truman Show? Good morning, good, so. good afternoon, and good night if I don't see you. <laughs> uh, classic. In case I don't see you later, good afternoon, good morning, and good night. Yeah, that is a classic film. So we're bringing you on the show tonight, Robert, to talk about some really interesting stuff. But before we get to it, the first thing we do is we ask our guests to give us a overview of who they are and where we might know them from in the gaming industry and if you're not really well known in the gaming industry, that's okay. You can just sort of talk about what you're into and what what people might find out about you, that kind of a thing, in the form of a gaming character sheet. So what is your gaming character sheet like, Robert? Well, um, I'm Robert Morris. I've My experience in the industry has been doing 3D graphics, video game developments. Uh, I'm pretty well known when it comes to simulation for a lot of uh, government and military projects. That's always been fun. In terms of the the board games, yeah, I'm, I'm probably just a small little niche guy. Well, on your character sheet, does it say Earth Pony? <laughs> uh, I'd be uh, going from what I am. I'd be going with a Kelpie. You're a Kelpie, okay, and that's a type of pony, is that right? E- yes, it is, especially <laughs> coming out of Ronit. That's uh, based off the uh, that goes along with the uh, the the Irish water horse. Okay, coming out of Ireland there. So you're an Irish water horse. Now, anybody who's ever met Robert is probably raising their eyebrows right now. Because <laughs> uh, he doesn't really look Irish. Let's just put it that way. But he's a nice – he's a really great guy. I've known him for a number of years uh, in, with the crowd in Maryland, which is my old gaming group with um, Matthew Serbrook – or Michael Serbrook, who's been on the show before, special guest and friend of the show. Mm-hmm. And uh, gosh, who else is in that group? Uh, Nestor Rodriguez. 
uh, Stephen Ferlani, a bunch of really great guys who have gone on to do some interesting things. And now you are on to do an interesting thing. Anything else you want to tell us about your gaming character sheet? Uh, well, I'd like like to go along with being a, a pilot, a pilot and an airplane mechanic. There you go. So you you are in fact you have a pilot's license. Well, in my in my in my direction, kind of uh, work with drones. So oh, that's oh, there you fun. Go. So it's a different type of different type of flying. It's an entirely different type of flying altogether. It's an entirely, I, I, different, entirely different, different type, of, type flying. of flying. Oh, definitely. <laughs> Come on, definitely. Robert. <laughs> uh, well, you know, air, airplanes an old movie, so that's that. All right, so so Robert, you're a drone pilot too. Cool. All right, um, let's talk about what we've been playing lately. I'm going to start with Daryl. Uh, what have I been playing lately? Uh, well, we're recorded. We're recording this after uh, Comic Palooza, so I talked a lot about what we played at Comic Palooza, but we didn't talk about what we played on Monday, which I was part Woo! of two of Ross's first games of both a double feature, which is John Kavalik's new uh, movie non trivia game. Which I Ross ruled can- at that game. <laughs> yeah, we really needed because. <laughs> We had the, we had the perfect game would have been awesome except for it was Monday. So everyone left, but I would have loved to have gotten Nordling and Cargill and you playing that game. But, uh, and then after that, we hooked up with some of the people who are volunteers at the convention and we played Cards Against Humanity. Uh, we played it with, oh dear. Uh, we played it with Samantha Inouyehart, who is a, uh, voice actress, accomplished voice actress who's been in a number of things and, and Mm -hmm. actual actress as well. And we played it with a guy who plays Strax on Doctor Who. Yep. And his name is Dan Starkey, and he was really great. Uh, he was he was excellent. Yeah, he had uh he had, he seemed to have a blast playing the game. It was his first game too, I believe. Um, Sam- I think uh, Sammy played before, hadn't she? Yeah, Samantha's played before, and she's got. Well, you just got to hear Samantha read the voice, read the cards in her voice, because uh, she's, she's got a very distinctive voice. Yep. Um, and we played with uh, some some folks we met there at the con, Dee Dee. So shout out mm-hmm. to Dee Dee and some other and, and uh, Jeanette and a, and a couple other ladies. I don't remember their names right off the top of my head right now, but I remember it was it was a good game. Yeah, they, uh, it's the same group of people I volunteer at pretty much every single Houston con. So yeah. So if you're ever in a convention in Houston, say hi to the volunteers. You're probably going to run into one of them that were at that game or have been in one of my previous Cards Against Humanity games. So uh, aside from that, I have been ramping up to. Um, uh, after we get off here, I'm going to flip a coin uh, between I'm going to be either be starting Mass Effect 1 or I'm going to do uh, Shadowrun Returns all the way through. Ooh, so, all the, now Shadowrun Returns or Shadowrun Returns uh, the I, Dragon one? I never finished Shadowrun Returns, so I'm doing Dead Man Switch first, then okay. I'm doing Dragonfall, then I'm moving on to Hong Kong. Now, you've played Dragonfall before, yeah? Uh, I played about... I played about three-fourths the way through Dead Man Switch and about halfway through Dragonfall. Oh, wow. Yeah, you got to finish You got to finish those. Yep. So Hong, is Hong Kong out? Uh, Hong Kong is, I believe, early release out or it's pre-order out. It came It came out really fast after the Kickstarter ended. Okay. It was I'm like, it was like less open. than a month, I think. Well, I'm going to have to keep my eyes open for that because the director's cut of Dragonfall is just amazing. So mm-hmm. I think, I think uh, at least I, last I remember, Steam was talking about that uh, the early release, so I think that's come out for a lot of folks. Um, ooh, you, you certainly got yourself a busy bowl there between that and Mass Effect, because if you do Mass Effect one, you're going to have to go through two and three. Well, I eventually, only, I only have yeah. two. I only have two, uh, one and two right now, because I've been I've been picking up games slowly whenever they go on sale on Steam or on Humble Bundles. So mm-hmm. my my collection's getting slow to build up, and it's a lot of really old stuff. 
So, well, um, either way you go, but, it, it, but it, 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 it's new to me, so. Oh, yeah, you'll love it. Uh, definitely. I mean, you've got Bioware, who's done a tremendous job with a lot of story writing. I, I definitely give Mass Effect uh, kind of has the same treatment with um, the, the, the original Star Wars trilogy. I feel that the second one, once you actually get into that, is the best of all three. Agreed. Just kind of like, yeah, just, just like uh, Empire Strikes Back. Just had that, it had that perfect ingredients. Just everything was right. You know, I haven't compared Mass Effect to Star Wars before, but, you know, I think you got something there. Mm-hmm. So let's actually talk to Robert. Let's switch gears a little bit. Robert, what have you been playing lately? Oh, well, well, this is this will certainly make you happy, Ross. A uh, recent game we've had started up by Yar has been Shadows Angelus. Woo-hoo! And that that he's certainly done a tremendous job with the the opening campaign. Uh, he's decided to go one step above um Entity wolf spiders and upgrade to bear spiders to make things a little more exciting for us. So, so and, and there's certainly not enough flame. You know, there there's no flamethrowers in all Evangelist that can solve this problem. <laughs> okay, so it, it's a it's an in joke for the listeners. It's an in joke about the flamethrowers because Shadows Angelus is a dark cyberpunk future setting where you play cops fighting demons. And I, this this guy we're talking about, who's the GM, his name's Yar. Uh, he is a, uh, well, he wanted flamethrowers, and he didn't see why he didn't see why the, the department wouldn't issue him one. <laughs> 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 and I had to kind of put my foot down and say, "Listen, police do not carry flamethrowers." <laughs> well, police so, fighting demons, maybe. Well, you know, here's here's the best part. He got back at me though, because in the second campaign we played. His character was a pyrokinetic. Oh. <laughs> well, if I can't have the, if if I can't can't have the flamethrowers, I'm going to be a flamethrower. You're, you're yes. right. You're absolutely right. Okay. Sorry. Uh, sorry, listeners. We got kind of carried away there. But <laughs> oh, no, no. But it's it's certainly been certainly an amazing series. I mean, for me, if anything, it really reminds me of uh, way back in the day. I remember reading a series called Silent Mobius, and it just has that, that beautiful touch to it. It's yeah. Shadows Angels is very heavily based on Solomon. So oh, very nice. All right. Anything else you've been playing lately? Uh, I've got a got a Pathfinder game based on uh, the Kingmaker mm-hmm. uh, campaign setting, and that's been. I've I've got a rather crazy set of friends, so the game itself gets really really hectic. That's that's for sure. I don't I don't know if we're actually going to ever be able to get someone crowned as a king. We might end up accidentally having regicide and it's totally not going to be our fault, but it seems to be the trend with our decisions. Nice. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but Kingmaker is the, uh, inspired by speaking of the topic of the show, but inspired by, um, birthright campaign, uh, adventure path. Am I right on that? It's an, it's an adventure path inspired by birthright. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the, the whole idea of a lot of exploration and once you've got enough land, you must define a ruler. And, and like I said, I mean, it's got potential for really allowing anything to happen. But at the same time, it's all up to the group that you have because everybody has a different idea of exactly what the happy ending should be. I'm really interested in Kingmaker. If they come out with a uh, collected edition of that, I would be all into it. I definitely would be. Oh, people throw money at that. That is for sure. See, my problem is I kept finding it in bits and pieces. And I have like, I think probably three or four different pieces of it, but I don't have the whole thing. Mm-hmm. But I'm excited. 
And uh, let's talk about me for a second. Ross, what have you been playing lately? <laughs> well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I haven't since, since uh, Comicpalooza, which we just got back from, as Daryl was talking about, I haven't played anything just yet, although tomorrow we are going to go play Shintar, which is a Savage Worlds high fantasy setting that my friend Sean Patrick Fanna created. It's very, very fun and exciting, and I'm looking forward to that tomorrow. And I have also started up playing one of my Steam games that I've kind of been putting off and haven't touched in a while. It's called Valkyria Chronicles. Hmm. Are you, fam- are you uh, familiar with Robert? Uh, for me, oh, yes. Uh, I've, I've been in love with the Valkyria Chronicles series. It, it kind of has a lot of the aesthetics that I like when it comes to adventures. And I'm only truly ever sad that we never got to, well, let's see, I think... Two never came over, and three was like a PS Vita or PSP or one or, one or the other. But we never truly got the sequels that we deserved on the uh, the console. Well, I'm I'm playing it for the first time through Steam, and I'm I'm enjoying it quite a bit. So I'm having kind of <laughs> I'm having kind of push myself away. I'm not going to play it anymore. I got things to do. Uh, it'll it'll set you in. Yeah. All right. So that's what we've been playing lately. Let's talk about the next fun thing that we like to do. It's called Tavern Tales. In the Tavern Tales section, we're going to ask our guest to give us a story of a memorable die roll. And given that the topic tonight is going to be about homage games and parody games and things of that nature, uh, maybe you can tell us a, a memorable die roll from Roan. Ooh. Oh, wow. Let's see. First well, of all, I- start out by saying what Roan is for the listeners, actually. All right. Uh, Roan is a inspired by uh, My Little Pony, and it definitely takes in from games such as Crimson Skies for a lot of the folks who remember that fun insanity of airplanes and high adventures semi in a 1920 the the war uh, the uh, World War One aces the roaring 20s as they called it yeah so we have ponies flying fighter craft is that right uh, Essentially, uh, with, with the way the system was built out, it's it allows for Indiana Jones-like adventures or Where Eagles Dare, Kelly's okay. Heroes, The Dirty Dozen, or Crimson Skies. A lot of just adventure all across the land. All right. So what's a good memorable die roll from this, this game? Ooh. Let's see. Well, th- this is uh, me sitting on a GM side, and... It's it's always that moment of when it comes down to really giving the players something epic, and then you get probably the worst role possible. <laughs> I would say, I, oh, this this uh, uh, if I'm picking the right character, this this role totally got Hemel shot. Ah. <laughs> uh, no, no little inside joke for for folks is one one of our guys just has he he will absorb the bad mojo of everybody else at a table. And when he rolls, it it is tear-inducing. You you cry tears as you look and go, this is the moment, and you ruined it. <laughs> and it, it was one of those moments that uh, yeah, th- this actually came with testing out a lot of the flight, uh, flight mechanics and everything else, and I had players playing around, and we were working with one of the airships and finally just had the airship designed perfectly, perfectly well done. Everything was going good. And with the with the way the system works out, I had one of the players coming at me, and he had himself just a, a the equivalent of uh, uh, of a British Spitfire in terms of the plane he had. And so here I am with this battleship, and my defenses 
against the pea shooter, I could have not rolled any worse. And he essentially had strafed his playing right across the bridge, taking out a couple of the command units that were in the bridge. Gone. I'm just sitting here going, I can't, I can't believe the dice did this to me. <laughs> so, sometimes the big bad comes out and the hero's just smacking around like a, a redhead stepchild. Oh, oh, it's, it's certainly a moment of, really? Did that happen? No. Wait, does the GM get a mulligan? <laughs> <laughs> now, does Roan use its own system? Uh, Rome uses the ubiquity system created ah. by Jeff Combos. So for those who know Hollowed Earth Expedition, it's a system that really emphasizes you know, keeping things simple for players to be able to just keep the narrative rolling. You know, a lot of narrative, a lot of banter, very pulpy action adventure. Right. And so in the world of Rome, we play ponies doing what? All right. So the, uh, the world of Rome, you play ponies that... Are, have recently reestablished their nation. The, the nation essentially is called Rowan. Now, neighboring countries they have are like the, the, the canines who are, who are based off of Canada, called the Canadians. Uh, you've got, you've got grif, griffins who are, uh, the griffins are a mixture of I took the Germans and I took the Russian Bolsheviks and kind of crammed them together with a little bit of a Valhalla complex. Um, hmm. Next to that, you have the Drakes, and the Drakes were originally the holders of what was called Ether. Now, for, for those who know, Ether was considered the essence of the gods, and they held on to this power, this magic. Well, big world war happened, and a cataclysm came about. The regular ponies that were generally, yes, they were sentient, but they were pretty much earth ponies, suddenly just... This cataclysm happened, and you suddenly had the split of the multiple races. You had, for for those who are fans of My Little Pony, they already know their Pegasi and their unicorns. People have made up the Bat Ponies from a few episodes that they've seen. And I've added the addition of the Kelpies, along with their allies that they have, who are the Zebras. Um, so this actually had all began as a game that was supposed to work uh, with a friend of mine named Urban Meadows, a game he had called Buck Legacy. Partway through, he he life had gotten more busy that he had to focus on the card game. So when you've already written about 90 pages, you don't want to just let it go. And <laughs> so I turned around and began reworking the history. I love World War One and World War II history. I love Indiana Jones, The Dirty Dozen, and everything. I said, you know, let, let's start working this together where Hollowed Earth Expedition kind of gives you the journey to the center of the world. I want to give players the, the Dirty Dozen feel or Indiana Jones or the detectiveness of someone like Tom Selleck in Magnum P.I. <laughs> okay. Well, so this is a game that is obviously taking inspiration from. It's a homage to My Little Pony, specifically My Little Pony Friendship is Magic. Oh, indeed. Right. Now, that's our topic tonight. We're actually talking about games that are both a homage – well, not both, but either a homage or a parody of something that's already existing in the popular culture. So let's, let's actually define our terms. Daryl, what is a homage or a parody game? Uh, like I said, there's a question uh, – it's kind of – it's one of those things where it's – Do you want me to come I, back to you? <laughs> I know it. It's one of those things. I know it when I see it when it comes to the difference because you've got games like – would you call Cyberpunk 2020 an homage to, uh, to like Neuromancer 
or would you just call it a cyberpunk game? Yeah, you, you so gotta split it from genre. And so there's a big question about that. What do you call that? And then there's parody versus satire versus there's people have gotten doctoral theses published on uh, the difference between those. It's all semantics, but general homage is I want to play. Here's the way I define it in my head. I want to play this TV show, this movie, this book, this whatever, but there's not a game for it. I'm going to play it anyway. And so you create a game that is an homage to it, especially if you're publishing it. You don't have the rights to it. You basically file the serial numbers off. So it's That's kind of like it's kind of like a Venn diagram where part of that Venn diagram is genre and part of it is, you know, its own original thing. But it also overlaps heavily with a specific established material IP. Yeah, with, with some kind of source material. Mm-hmm. OK, would you agree with that, Robert? I, I definitely do. Uh, I would certainly say a lot of it is just respecting what makes the series fun and why everybody wants to get into it. I mean, you know, taking on the bit that you said of filing away the uh, the serial numbers, essentially what I've had to do and work with and talk with a few smaller folks out of Hasbro was, okay, what can I do? Well, you know, you're going to have to file away cutie marks. We can't have that. You can't exactly have alicorns. For those who actually know it, Alicorn is just what you call the horn. But because of the fame of the cartoon series, we now know it as the culmination of multiple races and things like that. And you know, I, I look at it like I've always been a fan of anime, uh, mechs, and so on and so forth. The game I remember was like Jovian Chronicles. I always see that as a love letter towards giant, giant mechs and the Japanese aesthetics, things like that. Well, you know, Jovian Chronicles is a really funny example to use that actually came out of a uh anime magazine called protoculture addicts hmm. that's that's the genesis of jovian chronicles which is really cool I, I think that's awesome now let me ask you a question you said you had to file off the uh the cutie marks isn't that basically just a brand i mean can't you have a brand on your horse and say it's a special brand and it's not actually a cutie mark well, brands or you know things like tattoos i would believe is perfectly fine but the idea of even having a mark on the hind quarter like that is become so central to what makes My Little Pony, especially because, um, at least in terms of the book, I could probably put it in as long as I don't determine it as the overall definition of what makes the character. As right. we've seen the cartoon, it seems to push a lot that this mark says this is your life. Well, you know, it's also the difference between describing something and then visually showing it in a picture. Mm-hmm. Because I think they would probably, you know, Hasbro would probably have a much hard, a much harder time letting that go if it was, you know, brazenly in every picture, <laughs> you know, of every character, obviously having their own special brand. And it's, you know, it's only like one degree off of a cutie mark. Yeah, that would not be cool. I, I, I totally get that. And it's certainly going to be tough, especially one of the things I'd like to do is – if things go well, go go into like the military, the more military expansions, and well, I mean, anyone who knows uh, sailors, if anything, from Pacific <laughs> and so forth, a lot, lot of tattoos. So the difference between a homage game and a parody game, if I'm getting this straight, is a homage game is, is played straight. You're not really making fun of it, whereas parody is sort of an intentional attempt at humor using the same tropes of the tropes and themes of the of the thing you're paying homage to or parodying. Yeah, and I, Certainly, yeah. A lot of satire. And I, I would say a good parody 
isn't mean spirited either. It's, it's not making fun of it's, I'm a fan of this thing and here's the stuff that's kind of funny and messed up about it. So we're going to make fun of it. Uh, you can see that a lot in Mel Brooks. Well, here's a good example in the game industry. I'm going to throw this out there. Paranoia. Mm-hmm. Paranoia oh is obviously a parody game and it goes, it goes so far as to put this in every image. Uh, uh, Jim Holloway, the artist they got on that originally, he drew everybody with these sort of exaggerated expressions and it was very obviously comic, you know, and it's very, very much a, you know, Orwellian, a, par- a parody of Orwellian tropes and themes like 1984, you know, that kind of a thing. And it's, uh, it's it's actually a really great game. It's mm-hmm. it's it's just got its own little quirks and foibles and things like that. But that's that's what I think of when I think of like a parody game is I think of something like Paranoia. Mm-hmm. I, I would say like a good one for an homage would be something like uh, Delta Green. Delta Green certainly does huge call outs to Call of Cthulhu, except they decide to want to pull people in with a more present kind of twentieth twenty first century people meeting these elder gods and so on and so forth. Yeah, this is where Daryl talks about, you know, it's it's difficult to define. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think I think I would see Delta Green as like an evolution rather than a homage. But I, you know, it's fine that you say that because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about some pretty fuzzy boundaries, and it's good to get that off. Good to get that out right at the beginning that we're talking about some pretty fuzzy boundaries tonight. And we, like I said, the second half of the show is probably going to be us talking a lot about the different games that are parodies or homages, but they may not be, and that is going to be the the source of a lot of discussion is, is this or is this not? It's right on the border. So, so Daryl, you, you have a note here about the history of these games. Why and don't you get us started on that? Let, speaking of controversy, let's get this right out of the way. I think that the entire role-playing game industry, the entire hobby, was based on an homage in and of itself. Dungeons & Dragons, the original Chainmail, was an homage to... The classic advan- uh, fantasy adventures of Tolkien, Howard, Vance, Liber, etc. It was, I want to take my war games and I want to play my one character and I want to set that in these fantasy worlds, but I have no rules for it, so I'm going to make my own. And then they got into the legal trouble with, we now have halflings instead of hobbits, we have treants instead of ents, and so on. Yeah, uh, Baylor's to the Balrogs. Exactly. Again, I think that's a pretty fuzzy boundary, you know, but uh, that's it's an interesting... It's an interesting point to make. Robert, can you think of some other early games in the industry that might have been homages or parodies? It's, it's, a, bit, it's a bit tough. I mean, I can certainly think of a lot of things that I've seen that went into it, such as, you know, a lot, a lot of when it comes to the science fictions, especially dirty science fictions, you've got a lot of the, the Anne McCaffrey's for The Ship That Sings to, of all things, Robert Heinlein. And everybody knows him of Starship Trooper fame, which we've ended up, you know, we, we've gone as far as seeing that as an actual game itself. But even within games, I know a lot of science fictions have taken a lot of love to uh, having that bug-like creature alongside stuff such as Xenomorphs. I would certainly say I've seen plenty of not-alien creatures in some yeah. games, like, tra- like Traveler. I know Traveler had practically a xenomorph but it wasn't a xenomorph you might be talking about the kafer uh from yes yeah and then the other side of that war you've got uh power armor space marines everywhere well the thing about traveler i mean there are good there are some points to be made here about uh sci-fi games but uh, let's let's just be very careful about you know we're not necessarily accusing these games of having no no of having been homages we're just we're just identifying some you know similar themes and things of that nature 
uh, like Star Frontiers and Traveler both rooted, I think, in a lot of the same tropes and themes from hard sci-fi like Heinlein and Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke. But at the same time, they're also influenced by things like Star Wars, right? So, yeah, I mean, there's 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 things you can point to there, but I, it's it's hard for me to see anything in the early years that was a real, I mean, that that are, are high on that scale of homage or parody. Besides a few examples that, that Daryl actually pointed out here, like uh, Villains of Vigilantes, which is a very very much based on comic book superheroism. Right. That's oh. that's a homage to that. It was an homage uh, to pretty much the Silver Age, wasn't it? Mm, or maybe you know, I, I don't. I think or... I don't think V and V. You can really nail down. That's a good question for Jeff D. Honestly, yep. <laughs> but I don't think you can nail it down in any one particular era. There's Top Secret, of course. Top Secret was very obviously the 007 role playing game. Mm-hmm. Just without the license, it was it was you know, file off the file off the license to kill, and it's it's basically 007, and that's great. Just Top Secret was a great game. Um, you have a note here about Tunnels and Trolls. Tunnels and Trolls is arguably the second role-playing game ever published, and arguably it was an homage to Dungeons and Dragons itself. It was basically the same similar sort of rules, and it was reorganized and redefined to try to make it easier in that developer's mind on how to play the game. Well, I think- it had uh, play-by-post and it had solo versions of it. So, like I said, there's an argument to be made that it was an homage to D&D itself. I think arguably is a phrase we might be using quite a bit tonight, <laughs> actually. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Robert, I want to ask you this question. What are some difficulties in creating a game, and that's either the system or the setting, uh, that is a homage or a parody? I would say, you know, break, breaking it down, if anything, starting with a parody, I always feel that with a parody, it's not overdoing it. Uh, the, the easiest way I've, I used to explain it to some of my friends is like saying, you know, telling someone a joke, uh, like like in a movie. The last thing you want is the movie to consistently tell you the same joke constantly and then remind you, hey, did you like that joke? And it's the same thing with a parody. I feel like you, you want to temper it. You want to temper your humor before you begin overdoing it because if anything, <laughs> it, it, players begin getting bored by it. All right, so you did also mention earlier one of the difficulties with the the homage is knowing what exactly you can and cannot borrow oh, from, yeah. your, from um, your source material. So, such as I would say, like, taking D&D, I want to have a Jedi. Well, I can't outright – I would figure they can't outright just put a lightsaber into the book, but they could do something – Similar of a you know a magic sword that is using a, a psionic saber essentially laser well, sword. You, know, you have well, they did have the uh, the was a bright energy, I believe they called it mm-hmm. in third edition. And there's all sorts of uh, sci-fi games that use laser sword. Yeah, like Thundar the Barbarian had totally mm-hmm. not a lightsaber. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> it's totally not a lightsaber. It just you know oh, very similar. Oh, it's very true. I, I do remember, especially going into uh, what was it like, uh, Jade Claw. Jade Claw for for folks who know it is an anthropomorphic uh, adventure that's set in the Asian culture and things they seem to pull from in some aspects, especially when they got to a lot of the uh, the samurai expansion. I, 
I want to make sure I'm hitting this right, is things like for anyone who's a fan of Usagi Ojimbo, you know, big, big name for, for comics up there with a lot of the Ninja Turtles and stuff like that, and people want to have their Usagi Ojimbo kind of character, but you can't outright just have Usagi. Or at least you you can't do it in name, but you can certainly respect the character and have someone who happens to look like him and have the same attitude. I mean, right. I would I would think of it like uh, uh, me me and Michael Serbrook spoke about this. Actually, we talked about how you know you could have in a game you can have a guy who has a steel skeleton who can project claws from his arm, you know, from his fist, as long as you don't outright call him Wolverine, you're fine. That was well, half of my Shadowrun characters in the 90s. But at the same time, I think, you know, part of it is part of it is knowing your audience, too, right? Because if, if, it's, the, if it's the right type of game, mm-hmm. you know, it could be totally fine to have a whole bunch of dudes running around with, you know, claws and, and adamantium bones. But if you, if you were trying to do a more serious take on, on, on superheroes, for example, or if you're trying to sort of establish your own uh, independent setting with just like a hint or a taste of, of homage or parody, then that may be, as you say, taking it too far. It's all about that dial of, of intensity, right? Yeah. Um, okay. You know, when it, when it comes down to it, also I think some people tend to forget that it's, it's not just a character that defines a lot of it. It's also your setting, you know, the atmosphere that you project, such as like with Rowan, I, I couldn't outright just go and project everything that they've shown, such as having chaos gods that make cotton candy out of everything. I could, you know, I could sit back and go, oh, this is an homage to how much I love the character of Discord played by, of all people, John Delancey. But at the same time, it's like, you begin treading that thin red line and it's definitely safer to try and avoid than running into any of the legal issues that, that come with that. So tell us how, how did you take the themes and tropes of my little pony and translate that into Roan? Uh, well, uh, a lot of what I saw is the idea that they have this friendship is magic. Well, I looked at Disco, same thing as having a camaraderie amongst friends when it comes to adventuring. You know, everybody needs to work together. The last thing you want is that guy who turns around and backstabs you. Of course, you know, nothing against people who can do it in a clever way to make an interesting story. But what benefits, what really benefits Rowan, and this I would certainly give to the mechanics of the game, is that when developing your character, one of the things you give them is a motivation and you let the GM know what your motivation is. And this is one of the driving points of your character. What is it that they're doing? Are they, you know, are, are they motivated by greed or love? Is it the friendship? Is it, is it that, that brotherhood with their, with their friends, especially if you're playing a group of ponies as a military group, you know, that brothers in arms or anything like that. Yeah. Well, this has to do with a lot with, um, this, there's a guy I know. He's he's a fairly he's a fairly controversial designer. He's got some really interesting philosophies. Uh, he's he's helped us out on Savage Rifts, and um, generally, I just really enjoy talking to him about various game design things. His name is John Wick, mm-hmm. and John Wick has a really interesting way of looking at games. So he'll, he'll say, "Well, what is your game about?" Right, and he'll be very clear to try to differentiate that from what the characters do. Mm-hmm. Right, because sometimes what the characters do in the game is separate from what the game is about. And sometimes it's exactly the same. 
Like I would argue that Shadowrun is typically exactly the same. What they do is also what the game is about, um, but that's not always true. So it, it, could you could you look at Roan right through the lens of My Little Pony and say what is this game about and what is it that we do? I could. How uh, I've been able to uh, work Roan. The way I've looked at it is I kind of put two lenses. One of the biggest lens was looking at where the romanticization of war films, especially like Where Eagles Dare, where you got that that epic feel of having done something so amazing against someone so, you know, against a centralized bad guy. And to really at least give it that humor that people are so comfortable with, I had to start looking at things like Bill Maudlin with Willie and Joe or... Uh, probably more familiar for folks is uh, Beetle Bailey or, or Mash. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, Miss Buxley as a as a pony. Ooh, ooh dear. <laughs> Welcome to Camp Swampy. You're going to want to get out the moment you step in. <laughs> so, so that's you know basically what it's about is is or what that's kind of where you got your inspiration from. Well, maybe we'll come back to that in a second because I want to get back to this homage and parody topic. And Daryl, you have uh, you have down here some examples of homages and parody games. Yeah, I got a big, huge list. I spent most of the afternoon uh, going through Wikipedia's role-playing game list. I'm like, hmm, is it or is it not on every single <laughs> game that's ever been made? And I've missed many, I'm sure. Yeah, well, it, it's it's fair to say that we're talking tonight about some more, more of a sampling than the entire list. Yeah. Uh, there's one that actually isn't on my list that I'm hoping Ross can help me remember. I think it's, it's one that's just coming out. It's like trench coats and sunglasses or something like that. It's oh, uh, trench coats and katanas. That's the one. Yeah. That's a, a Lenny Balsara's game. Yep. That's it. And a game with a name like trench coats and katanas. I was a little confused because my thought immediately went to Shadowrun. Uh-huh. But, but Lenny set me straight. Trench coats and katanas is a sort of parody game about the early nineties, uh, vampire, the masquerade experience. Yeah, that's what hmm, I was describing. It's, it's uh, taking all those over-the-top, I want to say inspired by, but actually I think it was the other way around, but uh, Matrix and Underworld, sort of really dark leather, everything, katanas everywhere. and Oh, yeah. The, the Matrix and, and Underworld came out way after yeah. uh, all of this. So, way so us gamers were on ahead of the curve on that one. Uh, so. You know, every so often, <laughs> what can I say? <laughs> so, okay, so you're talking about Trench Guts Katanas. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to throw another one out there. There was a game by the Guardians of Orders, part of their Big Eye Small Mouth line. And Big Eye Small Mouth, in, in, on its own, is pretty much obviously a homage to anime games. Yep. Or, or anime in general. But uh, this one game that they put out was called Cute and Fuzzy Seizure Monsters. And that is very obviously Pokemon. <laughs> Could also be applied to Digimon as well, but everyone, well, yeah, it's, 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 it's not quite as popular as Pokemon. <laughs> Pokemon slash Digimon, the role-playing game, that is exactly what that is. Uh, there's, of course, Cartoon Action Hour, which is every Saturday morning cartoon ever made. Mm-hmm. What's some other ones, Daryl? Uh, Spycraft is a pure homage to that sort of 60s-style James Bond, uh, spy gadgets. and everything. It has almost nothing to do with real intelligence work and everything to do with... Uh, being suave and debonair and uh, martinis shaken, not stirred. And I've got a laser in my watch sort of stuff. Uh, I, I think one I'd throw up there that certainly is homage to a genre is uh, 
Oh, hopefully I'm hitting the right uh, the right nail. Is uh, all flesh must be eaten for oh, those yeah. who mm-hmm. really want to have a good time with zombies, and it just gives you a whole slew of the many the many style of zombies that you can enjoy. You know, all flesh must be eaten was actually on that early. We jumped on the zombie thing very very early. Yep. Hmm. Bef- it was prior to Walking Dead. So yeah. yeah. Oh, very much so. It was also, I think it was either around the same time or before the uh, Dawn of the Dead remake that kind of brought zombies back in a way it was it was on the i don't know exactly when but it was on the forefront of all that i mean let's not get it let's not go too far down that down that path for let's get back on the on the main path here uh teenagers from outer space you know this is very obviously the uh harem anime high school anime game which surprised me whenever i actually looked at the original book didn't it didn't have that manga anime style to the artwork at all so that's why it, it always threw me i always thought it was more of the just from the title alone, I always thought it was more uh, 50s uh, outer space monster movies. But no, it's uh, it's Rama one half and uh, basically everything Rumuku Takahashi did. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely that. It's it's also, I mean, Lum. I mean, that's one of, obviously, yeah. that's one of... Uh, Takahashi's... Uh, 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 Tenchi Muyo. Came out in 1987, so... Yeah. You know, there you go. But it it is it and and yes, the original cover, by the way, it doesn't look anything like it or manga. But it's it's very much that. Okay, so macho women with guns. There you go. <laughs> that is another one. Uh, feng Shui, very much Hong Kong action theater. There was a game called Hong Kong Action Theater, if I remember right. Uh, yes. There's a uh, tune. Very obviously based on cartoons. Yeah, that was a uh, cartoon action hour was more about the uh, adventure action cartoons of the eighties, yes. while Toon was pure straight up Warner Brothers and MGM Looney style. Tunes. Yeah, very Looney Tunes. Uh, Chuck Jones and uh, yeah. I'm just, you know uh, another Bob one, and I'd I'd certainly say this one hits it for uh, for wrestling fans who want to go all out was uh, Lucha Libre Hero. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Lucha because Libre, it was so insane. Well, Lucha Libre Heroes based obviously on luchador culture, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so the, that's that's the another mass wrestler. It, it's a little on that fuzzy side for sure. I think um, Conspiracy X, which was based on I think the X Files, pretty much. Yeah, I, I was reading. I was like, why? Did, this is X Files. The game. Come on. Well, like you know, and for the it's, listeners again, this is just basically a a sampling. It's not the full list. Um, but it's it's a, it's to give you an idea of the kinds of things we're talking about. Is these, yeah, you know, the, you know, these ones we've been all, all talking about for the most part are homages. Mm-hmm. Uh, very few of these were actual parodies. Macho women, women with guns, guns obviously. obviously yeah. That's obviously a parody, right? Uh, there's uh, there's but, one our international lis- listeners may know about because this is never actually translated in English. But I found this in the research. It's called Alshard. It's a Japanese game that's uh, basically the same thing we're talking about, but it's for Final Fantasy. That sort of uh, traditional fantasy meets uh, Mecha. Ooh. Okay. Well, and, like uh, Escaflone, maybe? Or? Uh, not or quite. It, it, it's, it's, it's looking at the reading it and looking at the artwork, it is straight up Final Fantasy. It's not like Mecha, like getting into giant suits and fighting. Like Mecha, like um, just machinery is everywhere, but at the same time, there's still fantasy elements. It is straight up like Final Fantasy seven, six, seven, eight, nine. Oh, oh did. Definitely, yeah. Definitely sounds like, if anything, more like uh, more like six. Because I'll certainly say when it came to seven and onwards, seven and onwards, the technology it wasn't that it was just there, but technology was so ingrained into the rest of the world when it came to like mechs and helicopters and jet ships and things. Yeah, Whereas exactly. like six, six and before was 
the more mythical airships that flew, like like uh, what well, I'm remembering, uh, uh, the Red Wing airships of Final Fantasy IV that needed special glitter dust to be sprinkled on them, which allowed them flight. And this conversation should go out to all the game companies out there. You might want to look at licensing and translating this game because there seems to be a market. Uh, you know, I think I think there certainly could be. Uh, while we're on the subject, I want to ask Robert. So, you know, based based on these things that we've discussed so far, what are the the main themes that cross over from My Little Pony: Friendship Is Magic to Roan? What am I going to see in Roan that's very similar? I mean, you, you talked about this motivation idea for one, right? Uh, you, you mentioned mo- maybe some of the monsters. Is that also true? Is there other things that that we should see that are kind of crossovers or or are related to the uh, the MLP show? Oh, in terms of monsters, I, I would I would certainly say a couple of them kind of kind of lean towards a little bit of the the pun in the name that they've got going. Because one thing people have heard from MLP was I think it was the Cragodile, based on the word you know crag like a crack a giant crack in the wall. Was it the Cragodile or was it a rock rockagator? It's kind of hard to remember because because if there's one thing about My Little Pony is there are certainly a lot of puns that went in, and that's not even focusing on the landscape or the name of half the cities. But in terms of um, a, a lot of what's going in, creature-wise, I, I've got things such as uh, the, the puddings. Definitely, <laughs> de- de- definitely not like the not, not like puddings out of uh, D&D, but in the idea that I was semi-inspired of having something like the Parasprites, which are these little creatures that once they have just enough sustenance of some sort, a little bit of food, they multiply. Essentially, if anything, you could say Parasprites were an homage to the Tribbles of Star Trek. I was just about to say, that sounds like a Tribble to me. So you're oh, saying, yes. so it sounds like what you're saying is like there's a very similar tone. Oh, very to, much. To Roan than to uh, My Little Pony. So uh, if, if you like the tone of, of, of the of the action and the adventure, if you like that sort of lightheartedness, you're going to find that in Rowan. Is that correct? Yeah, that is. Uh, I want to give players something of familiar ground that they can stand on. They know, they know enough about my little pony that by playing this game, if they wanted to, they could certainly turn around and just go, Oh, well, I want a my little pony campaign. They can certainly do that. Or they can embrace the world, you know, that it, that is Rowan and yet still feel comfortable and even know what they might be coming up against. Okay. Now, uh, are you familiar with a very similar idea that's out there? It's called pony finder. I, I've heard about that, and I got to uh, I got to read through uh, the PDF that I picked up some time ago from I think so um, how, RPG Now. So how is Roan different from Pony Finder? Um, I'm definitely going away from the heavily fantasy inspired. What I'm trying to aim more with is a lot more of more of a diesel punk, and at the same time, one of the things that I'm emphasizing is that in Roan. There's the use of essentially firearms. There, there's more of that 1940s era technology that is going on as opposed to a lot of the medieval fantasy adventure that you see with the, the Pony Pathfinder game that was made. And I'll certainly say that, uh, the, you know, what, from what I have saw of that, they, they did a great job with balancing it out and building it up. And it's kind of it was a bit of a competing point when I was speaking with uh, Urban some time ago of like, hey, you know, there are people who are also working in the same direction as us and trying trying to make sure that people are aren't going to look at us and just go, why do we need to buy the same thing all over again? 
Well, let's ask. Let me ask you this question: Like, how how big is uh, Roan? How many pages is it? Probably with adding in the fluff and everything, I'm looking at about a little more than a hundred and sixty pages, about hundred and seventy five. Wow, that's impressive. Okay, and you're kickstarting this thing, is that right? Yeah, uh, June first, I will be kicking it, uh, getting it kickstarted, and the hope is to have everything nailed down so that in July, at least as early as possible. I would like to be able to get uh, a stack of prints ready that I can have at the uh, BronyCon convention in Maryland. So what we're going to do now is we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back and talk about some more stuff about homages and parodies. Are you looking for a new game to play? DriveThruRPG is the Internet's largest source of role-playing games. Enjoy our game table episodes with Shadowrun, Dungeons and Dragons, or Mutants and Masterminds, and you want to join in? Or is World of Darkness, Battletech, or Fate more your thing? Or maybe you just want to check out games from our guests like The Cursed and Shinecar, the Savage World settings. Just go to gamerstavern.org slash RPG and you can have a new game to play in minutes. And they also have the largest selection of free games, source books, and starter sets anywhere in the world. Go to GamersTavern.org slash DriveThruRPG and support the show with every purchase. And we're back with this new episode of the Gamers Tavern podcast. We're speaking with Robert Morris about homages and parodies. I was just having a little fun with Daryl on the break. <laughs> Are you When Daryl gets back, I'm like, I'm here. Yeah, as soon as Daryl gets back, I'm like... <laughs> And I immediately start looking, oh, crap, what's wrong with my equipment now? Don't do that shit, especially right after I just unpacked it. I'm sorry. Ugh. I do apologize. Mediocre. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, Daryl was exceptionally uh, kind during the uh, the trip to Houston. You know, he, he was a trooper. He went to, like, all the panels and stuff. Mm. You know, he had, he had one wild night, and then the rest of the, the, rest of the con, he was, you know, he, he, was, he was there whenever we needed him. So... I do apologize, Daryl. <laughs> I just I I, it was funny. I'm already freaking out because I, I literally about uh, two hours before we recorded, everything was still packed up from the convention. So I just unpacked everything and didn't have a time to do a full test. I'm like, oh, shit, what's wrong now? <laughs> oh, God, don't tell me it broke. <laughs> yeah. All right. Now, I was just thinking about this, and, and I want to I briefly talk about this, but I think there's an interesting sliding scale for a homage game or a parody game. And I think... On one end of that scale is the absolute direct license. Like, it's not like Star Wars. It is Star Wars, right? You have the licensed Star Wars game. That's one end of the scale. And then somewhere in the middle, you've got the games that are, you know, based on or very similar to, in many ways, things like Star Wars. And and that would be like your Star Frontiers and your, you know, maybe not Traveler, but other other similar games like that. And then on the other other end of that scale, you've got games that are absolutely a parody that are are, are very clearly that game but are doing it in a more humorous sort of twist, uh, if you will. And they're doing it just sort of to to say, oh, I get that. That's that's Star Wars, but it's 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 weird Star Wars, you know. And then you've also got another category where it's it's not the game itself isn't centered around that one thing, but there's definite homages to in, in a part of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're talking about little little bits and pieces, yeah, scattered throughout. Like there in uh in D and D fifth edition, uh, there is a build for the monk class that is it's Avatar: The Last Airbender. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The <laughs> yeah. elemental control monk is yes. a friggin' bender. Yeah, well, there's also you know stuff like I put in Rogue Trader. There's a a planet that 
is basically Unicron. I mean, it's 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 Unicron. I just <laughs> I, I I put a new name on it, you know, kind of covered it up with some cool 40k bits and pieces, but it's basically Unicron. And I wonder how and many I'm people thought it was Galactus. Well, you know, you know what? Uh, one thing I've always I've always thought, and this is way back in the day when I when I first heard of Warhammer 40k, I always kind of sat back and just felt like someone had said, "I want to have laser guns and everything with my fantasy setting." Uh, and and they sat down and suddenly instead of you know orcs it's space orcs and instead of Eldar you know your Eldar are your space elves and yeah. everything else that go with that and I've always I've I've always looked at that and wonder like is this really you know this because I I can't take away that it has a huge universe that they gave it but I've always wondered if it started as someone just going you know have you ever wanted more than just bow and arrows. I want, I want to have laser guns. I want to have giant bullets that just destroy planets as well. You, you hit on a very interesting point here because we're talking about evolution, right? Mm-hmm. You could take a game that starts one place. Like Warhammer 40K, when it first started, the original Rogue Trader game that came out, it's a very, very, very different thing than the Warhammer 40,000 universe as we know it today. And that's because it evolved over time and became less of a parody, less of a homage I mean, okay, let, let me put it this way. In the original Rogue Trader game, there is a character, and I'm, I swear to God I'm not making this up. He's, his name is Obi-Wan Clouseau. <laughs> oh, I'm not making that up. <laughs> is he a Pink Panther while he's at it? <laughs> well, uh, uh, Obi-Wan that. Sherlock Clouseau, I'm sorry. Oh, just, even better. Yeah, oh, so, just cramming them together. Yeah, so, so that's the kind of tone that was in the original Rogue Trader, and obviously that tone does not exist now. So you're talking about evolution, and, and I, I want to ask the question, Daryl, I start, I still start with you. Mm-hmm. What are some ways that a game can evolve from being a homage or a parody into its own thing? Uh, if it's a success, the more stuff comes out for it. Since it's not licensed, the, it's more stuff that they have to make on their own to make their own IP. And eventually, when you get enough of that weight under it, it becomes its own thing. I think that's the, the path that Warhammer pretty much took. It started off as this, I want my elves to be space elves and my orcs to be space orcs and my uh, Roman Imperials to be uh, space marine Roman Imperials. And it just grew and grew as they kept adding on more of their own layers to the universe. And it became this giant thing that is now Warhammer 40k. Well, I think you're you're on the right track, but I would say it's more than that. I'd say it's... Very specifically, I'd say it's a guided edition of content that drives it in a particular direction, okay? And usually there's some kind of person that you could point to. Like on Warhammer 40K, you could point to Rick Priestley. You could point to Andy Chambers. You could point to Brian Ansel, right? These are all guys who have had big impact on what is 40K today. All the way up to now, uh, nowadays where you have you know, the head guys at Games Workshop who are still – you know, driving that direction in a particular way, Jervis Johnson, for example. That's what I would say. Now, in addition, it's not just raw content either, right? I think a lot of it has to do with actually, in my opinion, it's adding things like fiction and character. You, you're trying to establish that identity through particular types of content. Does that make yeah, sense? Can, can you can you make me care for your world? Yeah, I, I would I would definitely have to agree with that because I feel like anytime I've especially having finally been able to have the fun and joy of experiencing Gen Con and seeing so many, you know, so much content, so many different types of RPGs and things. One of the most important aspects to an RPG nowadays is sitting down and just going, 
you know, now do do I not only do I see heart in our RPG? Does the world make me want to 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 play it? Do I really want to hop in? And I almost feel like it's the difference between being, say, given a documentary about Al Capone and then being told an amazing story about Al Capone, which is more likely to want to make me go, I want to be a gangster. I want to be a gangster and I want to have a Chicago typewriter. It's it's curtains for you, see? Curtains, I tell you. Yeah. Shut <laughs> yeah. up, see? Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, 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 I wholly agree with it because um, – you know, another, you know, I would almost, I always feel like, maybe, you know, maybe people would disagree, but like Privateers Press, uh, the War Machine series. I, when I first heard of War Machine, my first thought was, okay, so it looks kind of like a middle ground between Warhammer Fantasy and Warhammer 40K because you're getting a lot more of the steam mechs instead of the, you know, the the war jacks as they're called instead of the uh, the dreadnoughts and everything else, but then when I really sat down and popped open a couple of the uh, privateer presses, magazines, and a couple of the, uh, the 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 playing books and read about the factions and stuff, you you really start seeing like no no we are not trying to just straight up be Warhammer forty k we are our own universe and and here's why you know it's really interesting that you picked the Iron Kingdoms and the Iron Kingdoms is the setting for. Mm-hmm. Uh, War Machine, Hordes, all of these different games that Privateer puts out. And all of that comes back to a, a single source. And what I think is really beautiful about this is that particular source is one guy's D&D campaign setting that he created back in the uh, – uh, about around the turn of the century. And the first products ever published actually by Privateer Press was a series of adventures for Dungeons & Dragons set in this world. It was called the Witchfire Trilogy. You can go out there and find it. And if you look at the Witchfire trilogy, this is a good example again. It you don't get the same feeling from the Witchfire trilogy that you do from the later, you know, from the current uh, Iron Kingdoms. It's a very it, it's not super different. It's maybe not Obi Wan Sherlock Clouseau different. Like the tone, I think, is there very much there. Uh, but well, you, almost say like the child. It, it certainly is the child of the mother, but the child doesn't really have the mother's eyes or something like that. Yeah, like you don't get the impression from the Witchfire trilogy that that warjacks are just everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. You don't get the impression that steampunk is quite so everywhere. Um, and maybe that's you know, it. May be intentional. I would never put it past the guys like Doug Seacat to uh, to not have you know looked ahead. But I'm I'm guessing if I had to wager, I would wager that that was their their early vision that then was refined and evolved over time. So Daryl, what's another what's another property like a game that has evolved from a homage or a parody into something all its own? I'm gonna hold off on the more obvious one, go to one that I think I may have to argue for a little bit, and that's Battletech. Battletech. Oh wow. Because it in my opinion, back the original Battle Droid started off as I really like Macross. I really like Robotech. I really like Gundam. I want to play a war game set in that. Let me put rules together for it. Oh, hey, you've got a license for these images. Let me do that. And so it's, you've got the Stinger and, uh, the Battle, uh, the Battlemaster, the Warhammer, all these mechs that were licensed images from anime. And then they couldn't use those anymore. And they also needed more mechs and more mechs. And they brought in the clans and then the Inner Sphere Wars and the, the Second Sphere, Wars yeah. and all the other stuff that kind of built on top of that ended up making it where the mechs that you see in Battletech that are coming out in the new technical readouts don't even have the same style as if you go back to the original 3025 technical readout. It's two separate design styles almost. 
Well, w- w- would you say Lovett still follows along more closely now to the PC games when that exploded out? Because for someone like me, my my experience with uh, BattleTech was playing Mech Warrior when you had the mm-hmm. choice between uh, what was it, the Jade Falcon and uh, the Wolf Clan. Yeah, uh, it's it's a lot more. A, a lot of the designs look a lot more like the thirty fifty designs they did for the clans, in my opinion. But it it just it seems like it's a completely different style than what it started with and it's no longer really tied to that same uh anime inspired thing but it's not also it's also not ignoring that past either well what what we're talking about is kind of two separate things we're talking about the evolution of battletech as a setting which we have a whole show on battletech by the way uh which i think is going to actually air after this one we recorded it before this one but it's going to air after this one yeah let's just let's just say for the listeners we recorded a whole episode on just the battletech setting so go listen to that um but separately i think you're talking about the aesthetic And I think we touched on this again very briefly in the Battletech episode, but the aesthetic for Battletech started out with a particular look. And unfortunately, I think this is kind of a weakness of Battletech. Over time, I think that particular look has fragmented to the point where it's almost impossible to look at a specific mech and say that – or a specific giant robot, I should even say – and say, oh, that's a Battletech mech. I don't know. I I would almost say – they they still have a lot of unique mechs, especially because you know when it came into Xbox, and now we got the you know the mass multi not the mass multiplayer game, but the the growth of the multiplayer game today for BattleTech. Everybody, right. you know, certain things like the Kit Fox and the the Mad Cat, they have that iconic look. Yes, or they the do. At, or the Atlas as well. Well, yes, they do. But just let's let's remember that the Mad Cat and the Kit Fox came out in the nineties. We're talking about over twenty years ago. I'm saying that there, yeah, there was, you know, in the, in the last 20 years, there hasn't been any distinctive. This is this is BattleTech. I think you're touching on something there. There's there's kind of three segments up. There's the 80s version of BattleTech, which yeah. was the very mecha anime inspired version. Yes. Then there agreed. was the 90s version, which was the clan mechs, and that's when in early maybe the early 2000s was the clan mechs, and they started drawing more and more on those inspirations. And now there's the current crop of designs that are coming out. That's kind of a mash of all those together and it's it's almost too uh we're kind of running out of ideas here guys what can we do to make this one look unique well let's not <laughs> that's <laughs> that, that, that's my impression personally yeah. i'm not sure I, no that's fair let's let's just we did we I, did two hours praising yeah. this game so <laughs> let's, don't let's, make well, don't make it sound like i'm knocking it well we're not oh, well, I, I don't want to go like I don't want to go too far down this path. So let's one more sentence about BattleTech and then we'll cut it. <laughs> <laughs> well I, I I would say you know it, at least Maybe maybe to shift towards another mech series would be like uh, Heavy Gear what? as opposed to uh, Battletech. You know, here's the thing. I think Heavy Gear did a much better job mm-hmm. of maintaining a distinct aesthetic. Yeah, I, yeah you I, realize I when you look easy, at the – Yeah, I think it's very easy to look at a gear and say that is a Heavy Gear mech, generally and, I would certainly say if anyone ever has the chance of seeing from, from I believe it was the people who would later do the Starship Troopers animation series. Roughnecks. Who I, yep, for the Roughnecks. Um, they also worked on a Heavy Gear series. Do yourself a favor and don't see it. <laughs> it, it is certainly not. It, it, right. it is that the, makes me want to watch it more. There's no hate it, on this show, just to be clear. Essentially, it's uh, it's Crusher in Star Trek who goes, "Hey, I found a mech! Yeah!" All right, let's let's. There's no hate on the show, so let's just move on. <laughs> All right, but I think I think the, right. let's let's talk about probably the one that I think Daryl wanted to talk about. Yeah, the, uh, I've been dancing around the elephant in the room. That is Hackmaster. 
Yes, which was very obviously a parody, right? The original Hackmaster was it it was a parody because it was I believe first edition D&D rules. Second. It was second. Well, you know, I don't know. Let's <laughs> Very similar to first. Let's say that. Let's just go on with that. And first, first the rules were heavily based on the game that they were playing in Knights of the Dinner Table, which was very – it was basically D&D but with a lot more of the personality of the characters laid on top of it. So it was a very much a parody of the game and the settings. Yeah, but it became a real thing. And it's, as it started moving away, and especially I think, it, I think what made it hit was the OGL. And after the time when they were an official setting, uh, the Kings of Calamar, I believe, was the name of yes, it. Yes, King, Kingdoms of Calamar was the official setting. Now, this is by a company called Kenzer Company, mm-hmm. and they also do the Knights of the Dinner Table magazine, which is where this came from. And Knights of the Dinner Table magazine has spawned not one, but at least two games just out of the comic where the characters are playing it in the comic and people were like, wow, that sounds awesome. Why can't we play that? And Hackmaster was one of them where all these guys were like, wow, that sounds like a really fun way to play D&D. <laughs> So they came up with Hackmaster, and now it's 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 a, it's like in its fourth edition, I think. Uh, the current edition is the fourth edition, and yeah. it is it is no longer it is a solid solid D twenty style game. But it, it's its own thing. It's exactly, it's not D D anymore. It is. It's got a very unique feel. It's got a very unique system to it, and it's not a this. When I'm talking about the system, there there's still some humor in the game, but the system itself is not a joke. This thing is a good solid. Yes. It is probably it is definitely one of my top three favorite D twenty fantasy systems. Now I want to say this: I think Hackmaster started out as a joke system, and I know that sounds weird, but I think it was a playable game that emphasized the humorous parts of an already existing game, like all the weird random charts that were in first edition D anD D, all the weird, you know, um, rules people came up with for honor, this, you know, the and stuff extra like that. nuance, like, okay, now we're going to track the weather, the wear on the, your boot leathers. Yeah. Stuff like that. And they, they brought that out. That was the joke. Like that was in the game. You mm-hmm. would find that on a page and people liked it. I mean, I played it. I enjoyed it. But at the same time, I think they realized over over uh, after a while they were like, we have something here, and we can. And this is this is an interesting thing we're talking about, like developing the system rather than the setting, right? But we're, but they did they developed the system towards a more nuanced, a more modern approach, and it's it's now uh, very distinctly its own thing. You're right. It kind of sounds like a case, uh, at least when I, whenever I looked into a video game development, it was something that I like calling the chick, you know, the chicken and the egg build. But it's the idea that one, you know, no matter what you start with, one can help influence the other. Essentially, if the chicken is your world and the egg is the individual, you know, right. if you start with the indiv- uh, the individual or say the system first. How does it affect your world or how does building the world affect the system? If I build a fantasy world, then I go, well, I got to have a magic system. Then if I have a magic system, I have to balance it with this right. or, or, or the other way around. You know, I've built a magic system. What do I want from my world? Well, maybe my magic system actually works with something like a, you know, a, a cyberpunk kind of world as opposed to the magical world. Well, if we're, if we're talking about – we've kind of shifted gears a little. We're just talking about evolution in general. Yeah. Which is fine. And I think I want to talk about uh, one of Daryl's favorite games, <laughs> Shadowrun. Now, Shadowrun is definitely different now in terms of setting and rules than it was in its first edition. And it's – in a way, it's kind of like Warhammer 40K. It started out as basically I want my elves and orcs 
and cyberpunk. Mm-hmm. Right? Yep. You know? yep. That's basically what it was. And somebody said, hey, let's put some Native American stuff in there. And they did. And and that was in 1980, 85? Nine, 89. 90, 1989. And now it's 2015. You look at and and the Native American stuff is almost all but gone. It's very much its own thing with the years and years of history and all these plot twists and stuff that has gone on. And I think this is something I want to point out is I think um, one of the driving forces that can happen to evolve a game, especially in the setting and the tone, right, is fiction. And I think nothing really evolved quite like Shadowrun or Battletech or Warhammer 40K when when their fiction came out and it started to really delve into that day-to-day life. What, what is it like? All those books. To live? Yeah. I think the only other thing that might come close is Dragonlance. Yeah, well, but that's, Dragonlance is a very it, – it's, it's a slightly different pickle, but yeah. Um, well, I mean, take, take on the books helping to evolve stuff. Like I remember – I do remember reading, what was it, the Eisenhorn, uh, the Eisenhorn trilogy when it went out for uh, Warhammer 40K. And then I was – like in terms of uh, Shadowrun, actually – I had not heard Shadowrun until it was after, and I was I was pretty young at this point. I was playing a game called Snatchers. Now, Snatchers had a lot to do with Blade Runner, but it had a lot of little kind of the... <laughs> it felt like fantasy aspects that you would see out of Shadowrun. And the thing is, is that Snatchers was a game that came from one of the minds of uh, Hideo Kojima, who people would know of... Of all things, Metal Gear, the the the, the whole Metal Gear shebang. Oh my know, God. Metal Gear, I'm Metal just Gear getting, I'm just getting back into video games, and even I know that name. So it's so it's called oh, Snatchers. Yes. yes. Can I play Brad Pitt? You like you like dogs, do you? <laughs> That's Snatch. <laughs> Which I felt sorry no. for all the teenage boys walking into that movie, and they got something completely different than they expected. <laughs> 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 All right, so it's called Snatchers. That's interesting. I hadn't heard of that one before. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, uh, the, the video game essentially followed along with coming out of Japan. Of all, uh, it, it definitely followed along with the semi-graphic uh, visual novel where you get to make a choice and you suffer consequences based on it. And it had intermittent parts where you did like a little kind of shooting mini game. If anything, I, I saw it as uh, I kind of saw it up there as their competition to go against things such as the King's Quest series or Journeyman Project or anything like that. Well, hang on. You mentioned a name that I think is a very good illustration of, of evolution. Maybe not coherent evolution, I would say it's. I would say it's actually a, an argument for a, a game setting that went into some really weird and kind of messed up places. Uh, that would be, of course, Metal Gear Solid, mm-hmm. which started out in a place that was very rooted in the real world with like a giant robot and, you know, you have a gun and you're you're taking dudes down and it's stealth action. And now Metal Gear Solid is like there's psychics and dudes who come back from the dead and I mean it's just like it's insane super cyborg ninjas it, it slice is. apart nuclear powered you know nuclear powered uh, mecha and everything else <laughs> it's very different in, in, in its evolution than, than it is uh, than it was right well ch- chatting with uh, one of my friends who's also been helping with the artwork he, he's, he's loved the series one of the things that we started kind of reanalyzing about Metal Gear in general was you look at the world, you look at what the characters are doing. Like in Revengeance, Revengeance kind of ends with us questioning, were we really helping as good guys or 
is the consequence of our action actually making things worse. And that was actually something I always had fun with Metal Gear in general, was the fact that every game followed directly at some point after whatever you did before, you know, whatever cataclysmic event. And you're thinking like, yeah, I saved the world. Not really. <laughs> Sorry to burst your bubble. It's gotten worse, you know, because from Metal Gear, you're told to essentially stop the. It was it was the fear of the the nuclear you know the nuclear war era that everybody had, and you went from that to all right, I stopped the big bad. It's like nope, nope. As a matter of fact, you have a brother, and he's insane. He's going to do the same thing. You're like all right, slap him down. We're fine, and we've actually just gone into a, essentially a world war that is run by industry. You're like, how did I get here? <laughs> well, you know, I think. I think there's some games that have benefited from evolution. I think there's some game settings that have not. Um, I, I think some games have done well to sort of maintain and, and kind of stay true to their roots. And some games that have evolved so differently than, than where they began, you know, it, it's both good and bad is what I'm saying. Like for Shadowrun, it's definitely, it's definitely good that it evolved and became more than what it was at the very beginning. And, and Daryl and I talked for hours and hours and hours about how much we love, you know, some of the ways Shadowrun evolved mm-hmm. and, and, and some of the things that have changed about it. And we've talked at length about some of the things that maybe went wrong in some other game settings and some other game systems uh, along evolution. But I guess the question I wanted to ask is what is what, – what in your minds is the really the best part, the fun part about playing a game that is a homage or a parody? What's, what's the core that you look for? I say for me it's being able to play and actually essentially live through your character's experience of actually either being a spy or being you know, uh, being the war hero or anything else like that, especially in that world. Um, you know, I, I've always – one I've looked at was uh, – if anything, not, now it's not exactly what I would say homage, but it's at least it presents the example of – game styles that I like is they have Dragon Ball Xenoverse. Now, now one thing is, is that, you know, some people who look at it just go, oh, you play the main character and you, you go through the game and whoop-de-doo. It's like, no, what's actually nice is you play as a character, you play as yourself or whatever character you make who's acknowledged by all those other characters. And I've always enjoyed that where, you know, pick, picking any setting or making an homage to another game that you play alongside someone who is, you know, you get to play with the not Luke Skywalker and you're helping him out. And by the end of the game, he turns and acknowledges you for everything you've done. And you're sitting there going, that was me. <laughs> you said good job to me. You know, so it does, compared to just, oh, you know, I, I was already ordained as the big superhero. Whoop-de-doo. So does that mean in Roan there is a not Twilight Sparkle? Oh, well, there certainly could be. <laughs> All right, but there's not – is there a not Queen Serenity or something along those lines that – Oh, the, the, the princess Celestia. Yeah, Queen Celestia, I guess. Um, if, if anything, with the way Rowan has gone, Rowan if, takes a lot more of our world's culture in the way of – one of the things that I've got with Rowan is because the idea is that they've separated as a race. They became all the varied races, but – after the big war, they came back together and essentially gave birth to the United States. Called, you know, so their big motto is uh, race, uh, race divided, a nation united. Okay. So what about you, Daryl? For you, what's the most fun or core bit about a homage or parody game? For me, it's about 
you know those times you're watching a movie, you're reading a book, and you're just like, I want to be a part of this world, but of course you don't actually want to be part of any of these worlds because most fiction, the worlds are kind of dangerous. I do not want to live in the Harry Potter world. I, I'm sorry, in, in real life, but I would love to pretend to live in that world. However, there's not really, there is not a Harry Potter role playing game. I've got to go to, uh, for example, I got to take fate and make my own setting that's kind of similar. If I want to publish it, more power to me. Uh, if I want to play, uh, James Bond, pick up Spycraft. It, I, I, it's that idea, that inspiration of, okay, I've got a great idea for a character that would work great in this world that's on my screen, that's in my book, but I don't have a game to actually play that. So I find something that's as close as possible and I can still tell those same stories in a world that's very, very similar, same genres, same tropes, and still get to enjoy that. Yeah, the thing I like about it is that it's kind of a shorthand, right? If I say, you know, hey guys, I want to play a game where we're all basically 007, and I think Spycraft is going to support me on that. There's a lot of shorthand, you know, that I can use to get across all those themes and tropes directly into your mind without me having to spend an awful lot of effort trying to build it out of nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Okay, yeah. that's. <laughs> I'm just like, yep. <laughs> Very insightful rebuttal, sir. <laughs> All right. Well, that's what I'm thinking about it, anyways. All right. So we're getting uh getting close to the end of our show here. So I want to ask. There is uh, one game that we have okay. to mention as a game that is kind of it's pretty influential in gaming, but it's one we skipped over that was definitely an homage game, and that's Bunnies and Burrows. And oh, God, how could I forget Bunnies we're and Burrows? Gonna, we're going to get in trouble if we don't bring that one up, because that's basically the Watership Downs role-playing yes. game. Yes, yes, it is. It is exactly the Watership Down role-playing game. But it's not I, licensed, is the thing. I always wanted to combine it with All Flesh Must Be Eaten. <laughs> oh, God. You play zombie rabbits. Uh, killing Farmer McGee. Uh, but no, for real, yeah, absolutely. Bodies. Sure, Matt Keys would love that one. Bunnies and Burrows, yeah. That's uh, that's old school. That's I haven't seen that game around in, in quite some time. And it still has a oh, following out like there, though. That would be like with GURPS or something. I think there was a GURPS, wasn't there? There was there was one that was kind of like that. But, yeah, it's been out of print for a long time due to some rights issues. But hopefully we'll see a new version. There's still a lot of people clamoring for it out there. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, what I think is interesting is that you can you can look at some games and, and, and kind of figure out where they came from. It's like it's, it's like an archaeological expedition sometimes by tracing back the the origins of a game to its roots as a homage, as a parody. Um, and, and I think you can even look at some games that are, are very creative and, and made big splashes. Vampire the Masquerade, right? That one actually, thankfully, had a nice little list in the back of the book of, here right. is where we got inspiration from. Anne Rice, uh, Laura Clay Hamilton, The Hunger. And- right. Nightlife, obviously, is one of their inspirations. Mm-hmm. Uh, although Nightlife was very much more a action game a it, it was different different tone yeah but there was some there were some similar things there too like you look you look at uh you look at underworld like the idea of this this te- uh, movie series called underworld and i'm like wow i can't imagine someone didn't look at a vampire the masquerade book or a werewolf book at some point you know well, when they were a, making that there's a, and there was a lawsuit there's actually. a i was about to say there's a court decision or a settlement somewhere that's going to say whether or not that actually happened but it, <laughs> i think it's sealed oh yeah yeah so, so yeah, I mean, I think, I think it permeates our industry is what I'm getting at. You know, actually, uh, selling, selling, remembering something, um, it was, it was just kind of looking, looking back at the shelf. Uh, I'm remembering, uh, Savage World specifically with Deadlands. 
Yes. Uh, Dead, Deadlands certainly was. Someone said, you know what? You ever want to just be there with Doc Holliday, but really just throw in the supernatural? Let's do that. Well, there's a – I can actually tell the story of that origin. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shane Hensley was at a convention and saw a poster and it was a poster for a – uh, White Wolf product that was going to come out. Necropolis Atlanta. Right. Which showed an, a, a vampire wearing a Confederate uniform. And that started things rolling in Shane's head about like, I want to make a world where you can have undead cowboys. <laughs> and once he got that going, that's when Deadlands kind of spun out of that wheel that it started, started rolling. So, yeah. The Necropolis Atlanta. Thank you, Daryl. Sorry, that's actually in the Wikipedia now. Entry yeah. for Deadlands. So yeah, yeah, it's interesting where people get their inspirations. Uh, I, we talked a little bit about this at Comic Blues this weekend. All right, so let's uh, let's dive into it. Um, Daryl, what I want to start. Well, yeah, I'm gonna start with you. What are your final thoughts on homage games and parody games? Except like you're, you're going to run across a wide gamut when it comes to quality in a lot of these things because if you're looking at a licensed game. You know there's going to be at least some level of quality control on it, but with the, with homage games, it's going well, to be all over the place. It but, depends on the license. It actually really depends on the license, dude. Uh, yeah, that too. There was but, a Dallas role-playing game. Well, yeah. There, there was there was a Tank Girl but, role-playing game. Well, nothing wrong with the Tank Girl role-playing game. Right? That actually fits with it <laughs> well. Dallas is a little bit of a different story, but the person that's seeking out the Dallas role-playing game probably isn't worried that much about quality control in the system and playtesting, <laughs> to be I honest. I just wanted but, to be very clear. But... <laughs> But when you're dealing with homage games, it's going to run the game. You're going to get, uh, but you're also going to find a lot more very unique takes on these same genres because they're usually going to be smaller or more independent uh, publishing companies. And you're going to see so much more unique things that even if you look at an homage game and say, okay, and this is something I bring up a lot. Even if this is something, this is not a game I want to play, there's going to be elements that you'll want to take for your own games. Oh, yeah. Like I'm going to give an example here really quick. Uh, Fantasy Flight in its early days of ro- of role playing, well, not super early, but it's, uh, maybe middle days of role playing games. They published a setting called Grim, mm-hmm. and it was based on uh, very much a homage to Grim fairy tales. And in the in their original state, you know, before they got Disneyfied, more or less. And I loved that setting. I took a lot of a lot of things out of it and used them in other places, including Shadows Angeles, Robert. Um, mm. So so yeah, so that definitely, I think you're absolutely right. It's it's a good source of inspiration for. Uh, for that kind of stuff. Go ahead, please. Oh, yeah, and that's pretty much it. You're going to find so much more unique stuff. And like I said, you want to play in a specific setting. You want to play in sp- – you saw an amazing movie. You saw an amazing – read an amazing book, TV show you love. And you want to play in that setting, but there's not a game out there. There's going to be something that's going to be close enough. And a lot of these games that are out there are going to be homages to the very thing you're looking for. There's not an Anne Rice role-playing game out there, but there is Vampire the Masquerade. Well, and there's also universal systems, things like Savage Worlds, GURPS, Champions. I, of course, would champion Savage Worlds right now as being a very, very good one to uh, to use. The Ubiquity system that Robert's using for his game is, is another very versatile and robust system. So they're out there if you want to take something like that and, and turn it into a game. There's there's usually a tool set to let you do that. So, Robert, what are your final thoughts? Well, when it, com- when it comes to homages and parodies... Um as much as uh, I I love or love being able to go into games like I, I can see Cowboy Bebop and go I want to be in that game you know I want to make a game either based on that and roll with it or there was a, what I'm there was a role playing game there oh, was sorry. Oh. I'm sorry it's called Bounty Head Bebop huh I'm not making Which, this up 
Oh wow. Well, I, well, it was going to knock. It was certainly going to knock on the door that you know one of the things that I had to look at myself and go, I can't cross this line. Is you know when it when it came to Rowan and certainly going MLP, the last thing I want people looking at it is going, oh well, you're just taking advantage of the market. You're just taking advantage of the fan base because you you know what what's your aim with doing this? And I kind of always felt that way when I see. You know, new thing. Like, I'm not going to be surprised. We see a whole slew of, of all things, Mad Max pop out with an explosion of RPG books and things, or people who want to try and take advantage of a scenario in that setting. And you know, I feel like you're certainly going to find a gold nugget, but you're certainly going to find it in a whole lot of dirt that you have to dig around. Good, <laughs> because okay. it happens every time. And you know, we 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 see that, especially I would say, like today, you know. Call of Duty, take, taking the PC game Call of Duty, because of that game, everybody has had to have the Michael Bay experience in all these shooters and things like that. And, you know, some that people kind of start arguing is going, well, who did it first or what made it better? And is this a trend that should, you know, how long can you follow that same thing or constantly pull from, say, a TV show you loved or an anime or anything before it before people get tired of it because I always feel like that's the last thing you want to see happen is people getting sick of something because everybody's trying to take advantage of it. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Honestly, (laughs) go ahead. Before you get to your last final thoughts, there is one more quick thing I wanted to bring up on the subject and that is there's going to also be a lot of, we're talking about a lot of stuff that's been printed, like actual published material. When you're talking about homage games, you're also going to find a lot of fan-created material out there. Like Ponyfine. Well, Pony Finder was still, it still actually got a publication. It's on drive through. I'm talking oh, about people true. who just like yeah. flat out. I created a Highlander. I, I've seen uh, someone who's created a Highlander theme for uh, World of Darkness where they called it, uh, they called it uh, Katana's uh, Immortal of the Swords or something like that. I can't remember what it was, but this is from the 90s. But they basically took the World of Darkness rules and made a version of Highlander right. with it. And you'll see a lot of these things, especially in fan communities where they're trying to they're seeing a gap there's a game i want to play that doesn't exist so i'm going to make what i can i can't legally use this stuff because a lot of these sites get shut down quickly these days especially but you you'll find a lot of these things where they're just passion projects they're not trying to make money off of them too well yeah it's it's essentially well it's 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 like the gaming industry's the tabletop gaming industry's version of fan fiction Exactly. <laughs> and sorry uh, for interrupting. So, uh, Ross, what are your final thoughts about homage and parody games? Well, I think I said an awful lot about it already. Uh, <laughs> I don't have much to add except to say uh, I think they're really fun. I have several of them on my shelf. I find a lot of inspiration from them. I think there's nothing wrong with making a game that is a homage or a parody. I'm actually really excited about making a game that is a homage uh, that I have. One of, my, one of my projects to do in the future is going to be a homage. Uh, some of the, the things I've worked on that are my favorite are homages or parodies uh, of things. So, yeah, I'm a big fan of the whole idea of, of, of riffing on someone else's cool thing and, and being creative with it, right? I, I guess I'm the champion of the uh, whose line is it anyway for role-playing games. <laughs> you know, just, just take, some, take, somebody else, take someone else's idea, riff on it, make it your own, do something creative and cool with it. And I think... I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's that's actually probably the the genesis of almost every game is is someone liking something and then making you know their own 
particular take on that. So that's about all I have to say on that. All right. So we're going to talk to Robert about where we can find him on the interwebs and find out more about Roan. Pretty much you, you can find me through Tumblr. I have two, uh, two sites that go for me besides the, the Roan Tumblr where I've been posting a lot of what I've done, a lot of the concept art that has been provided to me from many great artists. Uh, another site is actually I go by the game mechanic because one of the things that I've had a lot of experiences in is the video game development field from a freelance professional side to uh, the, the contracting work that I do government-wise. I've, and th- this is experience that I try to pass on to everybody I can because I've always feel that on one end you never know who you're going to work with in the industry. That one guy you might give you know, a couple polite hit, you know, hints and tips and hey, you should, you should take a look at this. You might be working with him one day and he, people, people remember when you, when you do that, when you're there for them. And I always have that feeling of like, yeah, you know, it, it's always nice because I, I did have someone I met at Otakon of all places who came by and went, yeah, you Skyped with me about two years back. I remember you. And I was like, that felt kind of good. Is there a website for Rome? Uh, yes, there is. And you can go to uh, roanrpg.com, uh, R-O-A-N-R-P-G.com. And that I've just built up, and I'll start supplying a lot of information there for uh, the game setting as well as the Kickstarter. Okay. And now you have over 13 years' experience as a artist and programmer and designer. Uh, so, yeah, 3D artists. I, I, I'm always honest with that. I, I'm good. I'm good at doing doodles, but right. and you are it's definitely my field. And you're the lead designer of Roan. You're the lead guy behind this. Yes, I am. Okay. Now that Roan is based on the Ubiquity system, is that right? Yes, it is. Okay. And, and do, we, do we need the uh, Ubiquity? Is there a book we need to use to to buy to play Roan other than Roan? No, uh, the the benefit of Rowan is everything you need to know will be within that book. Uh, things I had to do was uh, I had to make changes from Ubiquity in order to satisfy the gameplay that I'd like to be emulated in Rowan. One thing Ubiquity has is the pulp adventure of I can shoot a pistol at a tank and blow it up. And because Rowan has a little, Rowan has some of that comedy going for it. At the same time, I didn't want that being oversaturated by, by mechanics like that. As well, one of the biggest things I had to work with is magic mm-hmm. and airplane mechanics. I, you know, From my experiences with a lot of uh, the other RPG games, I never really ever got the feeling of a good dogfight when it came to airplane combat. And you know, it was a lot of fun working with that and balancing that. And as I said before, with magic, I am giving players a more free-based magic system. So there's there's no longer the essentially there isn't the cast fireball or cast magic missile. Rather, instead, you have a simple set of charts that build a difficulty you can test against, and you merely describe the spell you want. Well, on behalf of Daryl and myself, I want to extend our gratitude to you for showing up and talking to us about Homage Games, Parody Games, and Roan. Um, I'm certainly honored and very thankful that you allowed me to be here to speak with you all. Oh, absolutely. We enjoyed it. And to all our listeners, uh, we have more premium content forthcoming. We have more stuff coming down the pipe. So that's that. And the bar is getting closed. So we're going to say until next time, 
May all your hits be crits.